Now today, we are on the third last. Okay, so after today, two more sermons on the book of Acts. Paul, the apostle, is headed toward Rome, where he will eventually die there. Okay? His death is not covered in the book of Acts. You will need an Acts chapter 29 uh, to get to Paul's death, but there is no Acts 29, at least not in our Bibles. We are living in Acts chapter 29. Amen? Uh, but not yet. Not yet. Okay? He is on his third missionary journey. Okay? Last week, he was in, he was in Ephesus. Okay? Remember, uh, um, they were burning the books, the magic charms, they were doing all that. He has gone from Ephesus, the lighter blue, okay? Can you all see the difference between the two blues, right? He's gone from Ephesus, Troas, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. Like pretty much the same cities he covered in the second missionary journey. At Corinth, he does a U-turn. And then he goes back essentially to most of the cities he had already done. So from Corinth, back to Athens, back to Berea, back to Thessalonica, back to Philippi, back to Troas. And then from Troas, he avoids Ephesus. He spent two years in Ephesus. Maybe he's had enough of Ephesian food. I don't know, right? But he avoids Ephesus, swings by to Miletus, which is just kind of like a kampong near Ephesus, about two hours drive today. Uh, like, like, like Kampa is to Ipo, is it? <laughs> I, I don't know, right? But at Miletus, he sends word to the Ephesian elders and he tells them, swing over here. But I, I, I didn't go there, y'all come over here, alright? And when they do come over to Miletus to meet with him, he, gives, he tells them essentially that this is the last time we are going to meet. And now I don't know how you and I today relate to goodbyes and farewells. But something tells me that for most of you it's true as well. That the notion of a proper final goodbye is kind of like a waning idea in our lives. Because even when we bid goodbye to a friend who's moving overseas, the world is a much smaller place now and you know that Chinese New Year or in the summer, July, August, they will fly back once every few years, you know, and you will see each other again. Now, even if they were quite old or even if they were quite sick or even if they were travelling to a place that is quite uh, uh, hard for them to come back, there is still social media and WhatsApp, you know, you know that you can still stay connected. So this notion of like, this is our last time being able to see each other and talk to each other, goodbye my friend, hug, cry, that idea is, I don't know, it's a bit of a lost uh, uh, institution, right? The farewell hug, okay? Uh, but during their time, Paul of Tarsus is telling the Ephesian elders that this is my final farewell. And after this, you really won't see me anymore, right? And I don't have an Instagram handle to exchange with you, right? This is it, right? Once I travel, I travel. And you won't see me anymore, right? And so, his final speech to them is quite poignant. His final words to them is, in, on one level, a speech to the elders of the Ephesian church. That's the narrowest way to hear it. On another level, because the Ephesian church is the last one that he's going to see before he... Now, once he gets here, Caesarea, Jerusalem, he gets arrested in Jerusalem, he goes to Caesarea for a trial, and then that's it. The guy is in chains until, until the end, right? Then eventually he goes to Rome, which is somewhere near that pipe over there, you know, and then that's it, right? So, his speech is poignant because it is partly a speech to the elders in Ephesus. It is partly a final message to, you could say, all the churches from all three missionary journeys that he has, that he has built and grown and, and raised up, right? These are his last words as a pastor, right? To Ephesus, but in some ways to all those churches at that time. And on a third level, I guess you could think of it as the broadest way of thinking, is that this are, these are his final words to the church at large. And at large doesn't just mean in first century at large. These are the final words of Paul to the body of believers for all time. 
God has appointed for Paul to give a message to believers all around for all of church history until today that will be relevant. It's a powerful, important word for us to hold on to because these are the words of a man who has given his all for the church. And today he's given us so much. We have been recipients, such, such uh, uh, privileged recipients of so much that Paul has given to us. Even in this one year, we have seen his journey. We have received so much. So, on that note, let's see what he has to say. Chapter 21. I realise I neglected to put the, the Bible verse there. Now, if you are a physical Bible reading person, you know, um, we've, got, we've got hard copies of the Bible over at the back at our little mini library over there. Please don't feel shy. Just get up, walk over there, grab a copy of the Bible, come back to your seats if that makes sense. Okay, there's, there's BM Chinese uh, 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 translations as well. Andros is holding up the Chinese translation. Uh, there's bilingual BM English. There's bilingual Chinese English as well. If, uh, if you are multilingual, I'm only so-so lingual. Right? Okay, so, and when they came to him, that's Paul, Paul said to them, the Ephesian elders, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, this is Turkey, yeah, Asia Minor, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You're here also know, right? Non-stop, kena hantam from city to city to city by those, right? The plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. You're going to hear him say this again, this expression, did not shrink. He says it twice in this passage. And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink, did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care of the church of God, which he obtained by his blood. Now I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw you away, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And when he said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. May the Lord add his reading, add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I think that took me about two minutes to read, right? I'm quite sure when Paul hauled the Ephesian elders to travel from Ephesus two hours to see him at Miletus, you know, he didn't give them like a pre-written two-minute speech and then go like, okay, guys, let's hug and kiss and go off, right? Um, if anything, Paul, um, Paul is, is quite wordy, right? right? Um, and he tends to go quite long. In fact, in one, on one stop before this, on his farewell tour, right? Um, uh, before he reaches my leaders, he's somewhere else, right? And he's preaching through the night um, until one young guy falls asleep, sitting out by the window, Eutychus. He falls down three flights of uh, uh, three stories, something like that, um, and presumed dead, right? And then they go down, they lift him up, you know, they pray over him, he's back alive. Life, you know, and then and uh, you're on chairs today, okay? And no windows around you, and I don't plan to preach crazy long today. But I want to share with you three things that we can learn from Paul's final address to the Ephesian elders, okay? Which is, in many ways, it's a message to all of us. Three things, right? Two of which he explicitly teaches, but the first of which he role models. Okay? So he doesn't teach the first one. He shows the first one. The first one is to be constrained by the Spirit. The second one and the third are things he actively tells the church to do. Finish the course and pay careful attention. Constrain, course, and care. Right? Finish the course, pay careful attention. But the first one is this to be constrained by the Spirit. It's a very strange expression. When I read this um, in my ESV translation, I saw constrained by the Spirit. And I checked it against uh, some of the other translations. If you're holding an NIV um, or an NLT, it probably says compelled by the Spirit, right? Where is it? It's there, right? Compelled by the Spirit, constrained by the Spirit. Now, I checked up what the Greek word means. Means constrain is the Greek word deo, okay? Not deos, which is God, but deo. And deo means to bind, to tie, to fasten, right? With chains. So every time Paul says, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ, he is constrained under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? It also means that you are bound by obligation. You, you understand this expression, right? A contract binds you to certain obligations. It's that same idea of binding, right? They are bound by a duty or a law. So that's what it means. Now, Paul says, I am constrained by the Spirit. It's kind of weird because for most other contexts, we believe that the Spirit sets us free, right? The Spirit sets us free and He does. Right? In fact, just now Jenny was saying, cut off the chains, you're free, right? Right? What's that song? Mary, Mary, put the shackles off my feet so I can dance. I want to praise you. You guys know this song? No? Take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. I want to praise you. I want to praise you, right? Um, the Holy Spirit sets us free. He breaks the chains so that we can be set free, right? Jesus himself in his emancipation proclamation, right? He says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to what? To set captives free. And so how is it that the Spirit can sometimes set people free and then at other times constrain you? Ever thought of that? Now, we all want to hear the first part that Spirit sets us free. And I'll tell you why that is good news. Because a lot of the times, if you're not chained to the Spirit, you're chained to something else. You're attached to something else. You are in relationship with something else. You are drawn to and you are associated to someone else, something else, some other love, some other affection, some other need, some other addiction maybe, right? And so if until the Holy Spirit breaks those chains, you are still connected to those prior relationships, 
and you can't love God fully. You can't go where God goes because at some point the chains will yank at your feet and you can go no further. And God will say, come, I beckon you, come. And you, can, you say, I can't, I can't. In any case, I don't want to. Because these chains that keep me from you also keep me with that whatever that may be. And for some of you, that might be a love for something in this world that is material. For some others of you, that might be a love for something in this world that is immaterial. Something like a sense of, uh, of feel good or a sense of joy or a sense of pride, accomplishment, something that you just can't touch. It might just be something a lot more conceptual. But these things chain you nonetheless. So when God breaks those chains, He makes you free to reattach. Does that make sense? Now you say, no, I'm, un I'm unattached. I'm unattached. I'm good. I'm free, totally, truly free, and uh, I make new decisions every day. Good luck. And that's not the Christian way, by the way. The Christian way is that you are set free. The chains are broken. That's why we're saying, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Come on, church. My God, my has ransomed me and uh -huh, His mercy reigns unending love, amazing grace. Now, you've been set free to reattach to what? Amazing grace, amazing love, right? By His blood, you've been set free to re attached to reform to re to leave and what to cleave to god now unless those chains are first broken you can't leave and cleave and be cleaved properly to god and so and so you see here paul says i'm constrained constrained by the spirit you want to think of spirit as giving you full level of freedom to just do whatever you want but the spirit has one plan for you and His plan for you is to walk right, walk straight in righteousness, to love justice, to do mercy, and to, and, and, and to walk on the what? The narrow road. So at the end of the narrow road, there is a narrow door. These are all proverbial metaphors, right? It's not a wide open plains that God is leading you to so you can wander wherever you want. He's called us as Christians to walk on a clear, definite, narrow path. Now, this is black. The chair you're sitting on is black. There is only one color your chair is. Black. Okay? I can tell you, I can name you, if you know enough names of colors, there are maybe 99 wrong answers for the color of your chair. And there's only one right answer for the color of your chair. There are, if you know more names of colors, there are probably 199 wrong answers. I can think of more wrong answers. Blue and ultramarine are all wrong answers for the color of your chair. What am I trying to say? There is one answer. And then there are many wrong answers. Because the truth or the true color of the chair is in the same way God is leading you down one way of life and that way of life will be revealed to you as you take the next step and he says you walk by faith each step by faith put my trust in you amen and he says my light my word will be a lamp unto your feet so every time you hold that lamp in front of you you know he doesn't give you the whole road map how many of you know this about god already by now he does not give you the entire road map his word is a lamp unto my feet and his word reveals the safety of the next step and even if there looks like things that are treacherous, if he says, take the next step, I'll deal with it, you take the next step. And every time you take the next step, his word is a lamp unto the next step. And with each progressive step, he shows you that the next one is something he's leading you on. That's how the Christian is led by God. Amen? Not, I give you the blueprint, bang, roll, all the way to the back of the hall. Okay, thanks, bye. Right? And then you just take this and you just go on your own. Nah? Now, how is that a relationship with God? So Paul here is constrained 
by the Spirit to know the circumscribed set of things that he is due to do and the life that he is going to live. Now, Paul is not the first to be constrained in this way because he's going to be called to do some really hard things. Paul is going to be called to go to Jerusalem where his enemies are waiting to arrest him. And later you will see that they're persuading him like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Bad days in Jerusalem. Okay, maybe now it's also bad days in Jerusalem, you know. Um, I'm not asking you all to go, okay? We should pray. We should pray for what's happening there, right? At that time, bad days there. Don't go. He says, no, I'm going to go. Maybe it's not your life to go. It's my life to go. I'm going. Why? Sure, die. Die, die, la. Right? Because why? He's constrained by the Spirit, you see? But he's not the only one. How many of you, you do remember that Moses himself, after his encounter with God through the burning bush, was, you could say, constrained by his encounter with God to go and face up with Pharaoh and ask to let my people go. Wouldn't Moses have preferred not to have done that? Isn't sending him into the power halls of Egypt's palace a crazy thing to do? As if he would listen to me. As if he would listen to Moses. And yet, constrained by his encounter, the power of the encounter, he goes. And the rest, as we say, is history. How many of you remember that an edict was released in, uh, in Susa? Susa? Where Daniel was, right? Uh, that anyone who worships any god other than, than uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, right, would be punished by death. And as soon as Daniel heard that new law, he went back to his house and did what he always does, constrained by his convictions that there is no other way to live. He goes right up to his window, which faces the public, got on his knees and prayed to Yahweh. And sure enough, all the Kapo people standing at the back, going like taking pictures, zoom, 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 send WhatsApp to each other, you know. <laughs> and then... And then, you know, complain, complain, suddenly arrested, right? Constrained. Can he choose not to? On some level, yes, of course he can choose not to. But can, in his, does his heart let him? Does his convictions, do his convictions let him? No. What's, doing, what's happening there? The Holy Spirit constrains him. One last one, you see Jesus constrained by the certainty of his, of his looming destiny coming up. The, the crucifixion, it's all coming up, right? It's coming together. And he does two things that really take uh, the Jewish elite off. The first one he does, he, clean, he cleanses the temple. He goes in there, flips the tables, calls out their hypocrisy. The next thing he does, he publicly chastises them with his seven woes. And it's super shaming. Super shaming for the religious elite who, whom he, I guess Jesus decided needed that kind of accountability held against them. Right? He's constrained by it. He can't not do it. Maybe that's the best way to describe what it means to be constrained by the Spirit. Right? In obedience to God, you can't not do it. Other things in your life that may look dangerous, may look difficult, maybe you have a strong sense that you need to go and apologize to someone or to make right, to make a certain restitution, or perhaps you need to bring two people together even though you really rather you're conflict aversive, you don't even like these people. And, but something, some obedience to God causes you to not be able to not do it. You're constrained by the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to constrain you. Constrain you to the level where He can say, now I can lead you. Because if you're unconstrained, you're just flapping about. You can do anything you like, any day, any, any moment. You can just walk away from God. I'll see you later. You come back like God is a hotel. Where anytime you like, you can check out, check in, check out, check in. And God says, I can't do anything with you. You're like a wild horse. You go wherever you like to go. When you want to wander away, you do. When you want to stay with me, you do. When you need something, you stay. When you're on your own, you just do, your, do as you please. I can't do anything. You're uncontrolled. But Paul, role models to the leaders, 
what it looks like. And he's reminding them in his life about their own heroes of faith, their own uh, uh, um, ex experiences, the stories that they grew up with. First, be constrained by the Spirit. I want us to pray over this point before we continue um, uh, to, to, to understand the Word of God. Let's pray because I believe that for some of you, you are facing situations in your life that, that to be constrained means to face some kind of pharaoh. To be constrained means to enter into some kind of accountability. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that indeed you are, you are here, you are keeping us honest, you are keeping us on the straight and narrow. And Lord, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will just come and lead us gently, with, with love, with direction, with care. Lord, that your constraining power is not like the chains of Pharaoh, but your, your constraining power is the covering and the enveloping love. It is the embrace of a loving Father. So Father, we pray that you will come, you will surround us, you will hold us, and you will lead us day by day forward, Father God. Father, in, for any of us with situations um, uh, that are difficult, and we really would rather avoid, we really would rather choose the easy way out. And Lord, there is one difficult way and so many easy ways out. Father, I pray that you convict our hearts to know what is the right and righteous thing to do. So Lord, we submit ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the first point. The second one is about finishing the course. And I read this, and I thought to myself, the diametric opposite of Paul wanting to finish the course is when, when you and I are at a Chinese wedding dinner, and there's like a 10-course meal, and you're there, and you kind of have to run because it's going late, and the prawns haven't come out yet, you know? And... <laughs> And, and after that, the fried rice and the veggies, you know, and then after that, the, the, the war pang, right? Okay, and you're sitting there and you're like, you're like no, babe, I don't want to go yet. I'm waiting for the prawns, right? I want to finish the course, right? I want to finish the course. Now, that's maybe a slightly different finish the course from Paul's version of I want to finish the course. Uh, but there are some similarities and the idea behind it is this. There is a start. And then there is an end. And I remember the, the early days when I started watching F1 races, it just boggled me that so many cars would just not finish the race. They, they would start the race, right? And sometimes at corner number one, bam, 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 it's like, what? I mean, like, they don't get to, like, you know, like, fix their cars and, like, get back in. Like, no, no, they don't, right? Once you're out, you're out. You don't finish the race, right? And, you know, you start with 20 cars and in the end, maybe, like, 10 will finish the race, right? Paul is reminding us that our lives have a beginning and then they have an end. And it's not just a randomized end. And I think that's really a message that needs to get into our hearts for this time and this age, the age that we are living in. Seems to, in much fewer words, in much more subtle ways, teach us that life is quite random, quite unpredictable, right? We live in a VUCA world, right? Volatile and uncertain and complex and, and what's A? I don't remember A, right? Ambiguous, right? And we live in a world that is just, just going like this. At any moment, things can happen. You can cause change. You're, maybe you can choose. And then the world kind of throws like 50,000 million options before you, right? But some of them are, most of them are pretty bad options to begin with. And then you're told to choose. So you can choose, oh, oh, I, I'm a master of my destiny. I can pick what I want, right? And so you scroll through all the thumbnails of life and you just, you know, select, 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 and then like, go, let's go, yeah, next, right? And then you move in life that way. But at any moment, it can end. And you kind of have this feeling that there is, maybe the idea of a goodbye is gone. Maybe the idea of a life with a clear, definite purpose is also something that's waning. But the Christian, saved by God, rescued by the cross of Jesus Christ, living today in resurrection, you don't live random lives. 
My friends, you don't. In case you thought you do, wake up. You don't live a random life. You live a life born again into purpose, into a goal, into a, into a meaningful life with certain clear-cut goals set by God for you to go through. And God wants to put you on a course. He has already put you on a course. In your salvation, in your reborning, rebirthing in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the faith and the confession of Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you're born again to have a purpose. You're not living a purposeless life. You're not living a meaningless life. You're certainly not living some random thing where every morning you wake up and you keep, you re-choose the course of your life. That's not how God has set you on. He set you on a course and to complete that course. That's our goal. That's our mission. Now, I don't know what your course looks like. I know what your course will contain. But I don't know the details of where your course will take you. Neither do you. That's why the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet because every step you take, the map is slowly being revealed to you. But there is an idea of a completed life. And there is, conversely, an idea of an incomplete life. A life that fails to meet and fails to live up to its potential. A life that fails to be fulfilled. Tak jadi, tak selesai. Jangan hidup, hidup yang tak selesai. Tapi selesaikan hidup. Right? Complete your life. Now I'm going to show you what Paul says about this because here's a man who is nearing the completion of his life. Not just the completion of his days. He's almost done with his days, but he is also coming to be completing the thing that God has called him to do. And the first thing he says is startling. You got to see this. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Now, just take a moment. Like I'm just going to step aside so you can see this and just let it sink in. I do not account my life as of any value. Now, that's like, whoa, bro. Totally challenging the, the value system of today. Like, I, am I not precious? Yes, you are. Am I not of much worth? Yes, you are. Right? Am I not like, I do not account my life as of any value. Nor as precious to myself. So if his life is no longer precious to himself, who is his life precious to? Because to myself, I want to live my life. I want to do my way and achieve my goals and kill my dreams, my bucket list, all the things that I want. I want it. I want it. Why don't I want it? I want it. And I still have life to go. I'm still a young man. I have some resources. I can do this. Paul says, I do not account my life as of any value or precious to myself. Meaning, he has died to his own agenda. He has died to his own dreams and goals and ambitions and desires. And then he has been reborn to have the same dreams and goals and desires and ambitions and agenda as the one who gave him new life. So that the old Paul is now gone and the new Paul is now alive and he has traded away precious to himself for precious to God. Now God can use him for God's things. Now, now God, if, if God says, Paul, you're going to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. Because of your arrest, you're going to make an appeal to Caesar. And because of your appeal, I'm going to get you on a ship that takes you to Rome. Ha! Because if you don't put, get yourself into chains, you don't get the chance to appeal to Caesar. And unless you appeal to Caesar, there is no ship in the world that will take you to Rome. Ha! And if you don't get on a ship to Rome, 
Rome does not come to know Christ the way it will. If you do go to Rome, I need you in Rome. Can you go to Rome? But it involves getting in prison. Yeah, huh? But it involves, it involves a shipwreck. Do I get shipwrecked? You do. In chapter 27, you get shipwrecked. Uh-huh. Do I get beaten? Of course you get beaten. You're in prison. It's like first century. Of course you're going to get beaten. There's no concept, no Magna Carta, no, none of that, right? You're gonna, it's going to be brutal, okay? How long? It's going to be years in prison. You will wait for years and years before you can even see one judge. And you see that one judge, that judge is going to make empty promises to you. Oh God. And then you're going to wait and stew in prison for two more years or something like that before you can see a second judge. And when time comes, you appeal to Caesar. That takes you to Rome. Okay. Why can Paul say, okay? Because he has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Paul who lives in the flesh, but Christ who lives in him. And the life he lives now in the flesh, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. So today, Paul's life is like he's like a, like a, like a drain out. Like imagine just pull out this stuff from here. And then all of the meanness, meanness starts draining out. That's baptism. That's a picture of baptism. Maybe no one's ever shown it to you this way. It just starts draining out and eventually you just have this shell and then you put the stock back in and you pull a new one out. And the Holy Spirit fills and fills and fills until Paul is full again. And when he is full again, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives now in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh is now all for Christ. He loved me. He gave himself for me. Now this is all for Christ. So Jerusalem, arrested, shipwrecked, rot in prison for years, get betrayed multiple times over, whatever is your desire, get to Rome. Get to Rome for what? Preach the gospel? I'll do it. Why? I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Amen? So I want you to see that as this man is heading towards his death, you are seeing this, is this manifesting Christ? This is a bright, shining light. Because normal people don't do these things. Normal, fleshly human beings don't talk like that. It's the power of Christ that can invade a woman or a man and cause them to be bright, shining light like this. This is just extraordinary. Amen? Amen? Now I'm going to ask you, do you want to grow in extraordinariness? Do you want to grow? Amen! Do you want to grow to become extraordinary? I do. Do I battle with my flesh? I do. Do I battle to squeeze out more of, my, of the me, to drain me out? I do. And yet daily, I just long to be filled more and more with Christ as I drain out the meanness, the selfishness of who I used to and have always been so that I can be filled and to be given a new heart. God, I want a new heart so badly because some days my old heart just does not work right. And if you're anything like me, your old heart does not work quite right too. And you yourself in, the, in your own quiet long for a new heart. And then he says this, if only I may finish my course. I just want to finish it. I just want to slicike on this thing. Just want to finish it, right? How many of you are? You're a bit perfectionist, right? Okay. Hey, only me, and only me and y'all too at the back. Yeah. Okay, yeah. How many of you yeah, you gotta do it properly? Like, it's time to go, guys. It's time to go. Like, wait, two more minutes. Mm. <coughs> I just got to what? Finish this. I just got to finish this, right? Once I finish this, then I can go. Kids, y'all like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kids, you got to go. You're late for school. <laughs> as long as I finish my course, Paul is just gripped, 
gripped by the need to finish his course. There's another guy who finished his course, right? Joseph, you all know Joseph, right? This is one guy who has every reason to be bitter and angry and hateful by the end of his days. He, can, he has the opportunity to be vengeful and to kill off his brothers, right? And in this moment where he unmasks himself to his brothers, he essentially... Now, go look at Genesis 45. Don't just look at Genesis 50. Genesis 50 has the famous poster boy line, okay? God meant it for... You meant it for evil. God meant it for good, right? The, the commentary on that is in Genesis 45, the first time he un unmasks himself. You know what he says? Don't be scared that I'm going to take vengeance on you because God knew that all of y'all were going to be in trouble and He sent me ahead of you to keep this stock of food for you so that a remnant of you will, li will live. So don't worry, it wasn't you. God sent me ahead to Egypt. God's sending you too, but later He sent me first. Wow! Talk about a reframing of the narrative. Right? He reframes the whole narrative from yo, oh you hopeless, lousy, you know, expletive leader, laden uh, 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 cast at them, right? Now, receive my payback. Instead, he says, no, 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 God sent me ahead to finish the job, finish this part of the work. It's not just Joseph, of course, we see Jesus, right? When he declared on the cross, it is finished. What is finished? It is finished. What is it? The purpose, the reason why he came. His, his checkered flag. He has completed the course. He's finished his race. He has kept the faith. Amen? And Paul said essentially the same things too. He has fought the good fight. He's finished the race. He has kept the faith all the way till the end. Oh Father, I just pray that we will keep our faith till the very end. I pray, Father God, that for every single one of us who are seeking you, who are pursuing a righteous life, that we can see our lives as having purpose, as having, as, as having some kind of goal ahead of us. Father, I pray into the destiny of every single one of our people here today. I pray that we will be people of clear destiny, people of clear purpose, that you will reveal to us the obedience needed to live out the course of our lives so that we live purposeful lives and we cross the path that you set for us to cross so that we can meet the people and rescue the people and love the people and shepherd the people and be part of your great work as is necessary so that other people's destinies can also be in alignment with your perfect will. We pray that we can, you can bring us into full obedience. Make our knees bend before you. Make our hearts soft before you so that we can come before the course of life that you've set for us and obey and trust and submit and yield to it so that we can live a life of fullness of purpose, not random and meaningless lives. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Be constrained by the Spirit. You got to finish the course and one last thing that Paul is teaching us in his final sermon, so to speak. Pay careful attention. Now, on one level, he's speaking to elders of a church. Now, you may say that none of us here are elders of a church. So this is irrelevant to me. Yay, thank you. I want to eat now. Come, King's Table, right? We've got some time more, okay, yeah. But you may not be an elder of a church. I'm not an elder of a church too, right? I'm a lead pastor here. But in your home, mom and dad, you are the elders of your home. If, you're, if you employ anyone in your workplace, you are an elder of that place, of your workplace, of your business, right? Or maybe you're not an employer. Maybe you're a leader at workplace in a big corporate and you have people who report to you. You're an elder over your department. You're an elder over your team, right? If you live in a part of the world, I may stretch it quite 
quite as far as to say, God has appointed you to be a steward over that part of the world. The spiritual steward over the spiritual atmosphere and authority of the place that you have been assigned by God to live. By the way, where you live is not random. You may, you may absolutely hate your current property, like, you know, like, oh, every day leaking, la, got ants, la, got dogs, la, got, got, got tupai, <laughs> macham, macham, you know. You may hate it to bits, like, I just can't wait to get out of this hellhole, right? It's been appointed to you. You're an elder over your territory. You're a leader. You are a steward. You're a spiritual big man and woman over that turf that God has assigned to you. So, no, you do not get the license to say, this is only for church elders, I'm out. Okay? Now, in the particularities, there will be some things here that are particular to church leadership, but do not ever consider yourself as being able to check out of spiritual authority. You always have spiritual authority. Wherever God assigns you, when you moment Holy Spirit is in you, you have spiritual authority. Take authority. And that, in the broadest terms possible, is what it means to be an elder over whatever space, space that you have been assigned. Amen? And so he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves. So leaders, later at one o'clock, we're having our leaders advance right here. And I want to say this to leaders in the church, Sungai Blo Church, whom we'll be gathering with later, and also to leaders of business and corporate and workplace, leaders of homes, mums, leaders over your household. Pay attention to yourself. Because if you don't pay attention to yourself as a leader, sometimes, often, maybe even always, no one's going to pay attention to you. And if you don't care for your spiritual needs, if you don't carve time out to seek the Lord, if you, don't, if you are not protective of your time, of your space, of your energy, and you just give it all away, and you give, and you give, and you give it all away, right? Then there's nothing left. And guess what? The, the family, the flock that you are elder over, whatever that may be, even if you live alone and then would be your friends and your home and everything, is worse off when you are dry and dying. But Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, and then you will bear much fruit. Right? Because He is the vine. You are the branch. Abide in Him. And if you don't abide in Him, then separated branches die and dry. But abiding branches nourish and flourish. So you must pay careful attention to yourself. If you're a leader, pay careful attention to yourself first. And that's why even in the airplane, they say, oh, put on the mask for yourself first, then put it on for your child, right? Because you know what? That child is of no use if you are suffocating and You can't. It's of no help to the child if you don't look after yourself. Amen? So you can keep giving yourself away selflessly. It might even charade itself like a selfless act of selflessness. And then you're angry, you're short-tempered, you are the worst version of yourself. Pay attention to yourself and then to all the flock. Pay attention to the flock. Now, we can do 101 things in church to just keep going out there and go rah, and then rah, rah, and then rah, rah, rah. And I can burn all of y'all in order to get the next rah, the fourth rah. And I want a fifth rah. I'm like, guys, rah number seven. Let's go rah one more time. And there's a day for the rahs. But there are many days when all of y'all are part of the flock that an elder-like person has been called to care for you. And there are many days that in your own workplaces, there are many ras to do, but at the same time, you need to care for your flock. You need to tend your sheep. You need to feed 
your lambs. Amen? That's what Jesus says. He says that to Peter, right? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, tend my flock, right? What does it mean? What does it mean to tend to the flock? Ezekiel in 34, chapter 34 says this, right? He's scolding the shepherds of Israel because he says that the lost you did not seek, right? The straight you did not bring back, the injured you did not bind up, the weak you did not strengthen. Apaguna korang, right? And then he says, I myself will come and shepherd my sheep. And then he gives himself as a role model of what a shepherd looks like. He seeks the lost. He brings back those who have strayed. He binds back those who are hurting and wounded. And then he strengthens. He lends strength. He gives strength. He grows. He feeds. He strengthens. Now I want you to know this, church. Here on Sunday, my role is to build and strengthen you. That's why I'm a pastor. Pastor Ramesh is a pastor. The both of us are feeding, strengthening in your own homes, in your own workplaces. You're going to have to feed and strengthen someone else. And kids, you may feel that it's got nothing to do with me because I'm the one who's always a recipient. No, you're going to grow into someone who's going to have to strengthen others as well. In fact, right now, there are juniors in, my, in your midst whom you're going to be strengthening as well. So no, this applies to all of us to tend the flock, feed the sheep, take care of the lambs, the little ones. Everyone has a duty to love the flock. Amen? And so on this, we'll close. Because Paul says that he bought this church. Your flock, he accessed that flock by his own blood to give to you. He suffered to give you your church, your family, your world, your staff. I don't know if your, your workplace is super garam, your staff, like, hey, Jesus died to give you those people, huh? You'll be like, no way. Yeah, we are way. He gave you that flock. Your house that's leaking and got tupai, yeah, he gave you that, he gave you that turf. He died to give you that turf. He died to give you all the things that you have today so you can steward it well. Amen? And, and, in the days to come, fierce wolves will come. Therefore, be alert. Fierce wolves will come. Can you imagine being one of the efficient elders and hearing him say that even from among yourselves will arise men who are be like looking at each other, going like, You are. <laughs> Not me, uh, you lay. And then suddenly it's like Jesus at the table saying, Among you, one of you will betray me. Right? You're like, Who? Who? It's the same scene. It's the same scene. Be alert. Be alert. I'll tell you why. Because at the very end, Matthew 24, one of my favorite passages of the Bible, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Paul, eh? every, every line here you can see Paul's journey. Eh? They will deliver you up to tribulation. Check. It's going to come. They will put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations. City after city after city after city. Kena belasa. For my sake. Not for Paul's own sake. Not for, he's not chasing his agenda. He's pursuing after the gospel and he kena belasa everywhere, right? Many will fall away. False prophets will arise and lead many astray. Fierce wolves though? Jesus said it, Paul said it, right? The love of many will grow cold. But guess what? Those who endure till the end. You heard it, huh? It's your Bible. They who endure till the end will be saved. Now, church, you see me talking about this maybe more frequently than some other things. It's because we are living in days when the love of many will grow cold. We are living in days when there'll be all kinds of false news, fake news, one-sided news. And sometimes you try to read both sides of the news and both sides are so extreme, you don't know where the truth is. Endure. If someone asks me, Fergus, what kind of church do you want Sungai Bulo to be? Three adjectives. One of my three will be resilient. Because if you're not resilient, I don't know what happens to you. If you're not resilient, I don't know what happens to you. But if you are, and you endure, you will be saved. 
I don't want you to give up on Jesus at the final stretch. You can run the whole marathon, get into the stadium and quit. No, not among us. I want to make sure as much as possible we are not like that. So can I have the worship team on stage because we want to pray, we want to close, right? We want to lend strength to every single one of us on this day. Now, where is that strength? Just now it says be alert. Where is that strength? So that we can keep on keeping on. That strength is because He lives. That strength is Jesus, the resurrection. Because He lives, I will too will live, right? Because He is resurrected from death, death has no hole, death has no grip, sin has no grip. Amen? So let us rise to our feet right now. Let us rise to our feet. In just a moment, now we will distribute the communion emblems. I encourage everyone holding the emblems in your hands. Just remember the price that the Lord Jesus paid. To live, to die, to be ridiculed his whole life, slurred at his whole life, challenged in his paternity, challenged in his divinity, challenged in every single way possible. And as he went to the last moments of his life, spat on, mocked, beaten, so that he can die a brutal death, entombed, and on the third day, be raised back into everlasting life, vindicated by the Father as Israel's Messiah and King of the whole world. Today, you hold in your hands a symbol a remembrance, a representation of His death, of His resurrection, and of the glory that we share in Him. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And after He had broken it, He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that your body was broken, broken so that mine can be made whole. We thank you, Lord God, that on the cross you died, subjected your body to an excruciating pain because it was no longer you who lived, but the Father's will that lived in you. And at Gethsemane, you settled it already that it will no longer be any more of your, what you will, but what the Father wills over you. So Father, we thank you that today we can hold in our hands a remembrance of your surrendering of your own will to the will of your Father. Today, as we partake of this bread, we declare to do the same. Let us partake of this bread together. After supper had ended, he took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your blood. Your blood which covers all our sin. Your blood which gives us new life. Your blood which today courses through our lives, covers us, protects us, and gives us renewal. Father, as we partake of this cup, we do this to remember the work of Christ in us. Church, let us partake of this cup of Christ together. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Let's just worship. Let's just worship. Because I know, I know He holds the future. 
And life is worth the living just because he lives. Father, thank you, Lord God. Now we ask that you bless the food that's before us. May this afternoon be an afternoon of, your, of a celebration of resurrection fellowship in your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.